This is Inside Berkeley. I'm Michael Keefeldman. Our guest today is David Mash, Berkeley's Senior Vice President for Innovation, Strategy, and Technology, who Rolling Stone has referred to as the, quote, leading evangelist for the marriage of music and technology, unquote. For more than 40 years, Mash has worked for Berkeley and consulted for companies such as Korg, Roland, Yamaha, Kurzweil, and Adobe, among others. He's also a musician, first a guitarist and later a synthesizer player who founded the progressive electronic jazz fusion band Ictus, and he has more recently released more of his works as Machine Music. His Machine Music double album is titled Decades, and after four decades of serving Berkeley in a wide array of roles, Mash plans to retire this spring. David Mash, welcome to Inside Berkeley. It's my pleasure. Thanks for asking me. So I understand you grew up in a musical family, but music was not necessarily the uh, the path that had initially been set out. In fact, you were uh, supposed to quote unquote be a doctor. So so what happened? What what led you into the worlds of music and, and technology instead of sitting here today talking with Dr. David Mash? Well, um, you know, when I was very young, um, my mother was a professional musician. And um, while she really loved music and, uh, and she, you know, played professionally until the day that she died at age 99, um, she, she felt it was a hard profession and something that she didn't really want her children to do. Um, and so she, um, she let me play guitar because she never really thought it was a real instrument and that I couldn't get serious about it. Um, but I started playing when I was seven years old, and I, I, um, I spent a lot of my youth practicing many, many hours per day. Um, I was really in love with the instrument, and um, it was just something that I did that, that, you know, since I had been doing it for, uh, since I was so young, it was just something I did and felt was natural for me to do, and not something I was actually thinking about as a career. So, you know, when, when I was in school, I was always thinking about, well, okay, when I get older, I'm going to be a doctor, and to be a doctor, I need to take, you know, Latin in middle and high school, and I need to um, be good at math and science and um, biology and chemistry, and um, so I studied all those things in, you know, uh, middle and high school, and, um, and all the way through middle and high school uh, years, I played professionally. So I, st- I started playing um, when I was 11 years old in uh, wedding and bar mitzvah bands because um, when I was 11 was 1963 and 1964 when the Beatles came to America. And all of a sudden, um, the electric guitar was like a bigger focus um, in popular music. And since I was already, um, I already owned an electric guitar and amplifier and I could read and I could play a little bit, uh, I was in demand um, to to play a Beatles song, and also my voice hadn't changed, so I could sing the the high harmonies uh, in the Beatles songs. Um, so I, you know, all the way through through school, um, I did music because I loved it and was passionate about it. But I thought that my career would be as a medical doctor. So I, actually, when I graduated high school, I started my university career as a pre med major at Oakland University in Rochester, Michigan. One day, I, uh, my sister was in the hospital, and I, I went to visit her, and uh, I realized that not only could I not stand the sight of blood, but um, just about all medical conditions kind of really made me queasy. And, uh, and then the next day after that 
uh, I went to my biology class and we were uh, dissecting live white rats and I, I had the actual epiphany that it was probably not the right idea for me to be a doctor. <laughs> and uh, so then I thought about what I would do. And, um, you know, the other thing I really thought about a lot was art. Uh, I, was a, I painted a lot in high school and uh, I, I minored in art history in college. Um, but I'm colorblind. And so my experience was, you know, if I liked what one of the paintings, most people didn't like it. And the things that people did like, I didn't like. So I finally decided to become a musician full-time and pursue that as my career. Yeah. So we talk about you being here for 40 years, but you've actually been here uh, not only as an administrator, but as a musician for more than 40 years because you originally came to Berkeley as a student. Right. And um, can you just tell us a bit about what brought you to to Berkeley to study? So when I dropped out of uh, pre-med, I went looking for a music program and... uh, I went to Wayne State University in Detroit, which had a fairly good music program. But um, two things happened. One was I took the placement tests and placed out of all the music theory courses uh, because I'd been studying, um, you know, all my life, basically. Um, And then my guitar teacher that I was assigned uh, by the school was the same guitar uh, teacher that I had when I was seven years old, Joe Fava. And uh, it was great to study with, again with him for a semester, but you know, he was basically telling me, you know, you don't need to be here. You should be pursuing something beyond this. And um, so I, I arrived here as a student in uh, January of 1973. So, and as a Berkeley student, one of the compositions that you worked on in one of your classes here, right, became one of the famous ictus tunes, right? Yeah. And um, so I, I'd i like to listen to that song if we could, but before we do, uh, and I'm talking about the song Change Up, which is the, the lead off to your new Decades uh, double album. Um, before we listen to it, could you tell us a little bit about how it came into being and, and how it evolved over the years? So I was very fortunate when I came to Berkeley. Um, I was uh, in like some very advanced place classes and... Um, so I was fortunate to study all five semesters of harmony um, in a single year, and I had Michael Rendish for my teacher. And um, it was a very small class, all very talented students, and, and Michael was always pushing us to do. Um, so for every week we had a, a technique that might, we might be studying in harmony, he would assign us to write a song or you know a composition um, using that technique. So this particular week we were studying um, modal harmony and uh, modal interchange. And so I wrote this song, Change Up, to um, to be, it, it's actually, it begins in A mixolydian, and then the B section was supposed to be either in a different um, mode with the same tonal center or the same mode with a different tonal center. So I wrote the B section in A lydian and then got back to A mixolydian for the, the head again. Uh, so it's like an ABA form. And... Um, Michael, who's an extraordinary musician, um, would play all the pieces at the piano for the class. Um, at first, because he was challenging us to actually be able to recognize our own pieces, because some people were just doing them as exercises. But um, he played my song, Change Up, and um, he stood up from the, the piano and said, I think you all need to look at this. And he actually 
wrote it up on the board, and then he analyzed it in front of them, and he showed how the changing time signatures actually um, helped to focus the ear on the, the tonic of the, the modes. So um, that same semester, I also had a course with Gary Burton. It was a advanced jazz arranging for small band uh, or small ensemble, and uh, I took that song that I'd written for Michael's class, and I did an arrangement for the, the ensemble um, in Gary's class, and um, so the the actual arrangement that's on the the uh, CD is the same arrangement that I did for Gary's um, advanced small band uh, arranging class. So that gives us uh, a lot to listen for. Let's listen to David Mash's mashing music with Change Up.
What a killer arrangement. That was Change Up from David Mash's Mashing Music. You can hear more at mashing.com. M-A-S-H-I-N-E dot com. So as Senior Vice President for Innovation Strategy and Technology here at Berkeley, um, I'd like to get into your career through those three different lenses. Um, And maybe we could start with technology. So you founded the department that we now know as electronic production and design at Berkeley, um, although I understand it started with a sort of a chance meeting at, at a theater gig that you were doing. Could, could you tell us a bit about how that field of study came into being at Berkeley and, and the story behind that? Personally, I, um, you know, I, I had a small, uh, well, I had a, a major life incident where I lost the use of my left hand from a medical uh, problem and could no longer play electric guitar or acoustic guitar for that matter. And so I decided um, that I still wanted to be a musician. And I, as you mentioned, I had this band Ictus that was already doing pretty well professionally. And um, I wanted to continue to be in the band. They wanted me to be in the band. So I needed to find an instrument that I could play with one hand. And um, The synthesizer was monophonic at the time, and you could only play one note at a time, so I had enough use of my left hand to move knobs and sliders. So I sold all my guitars, and I bought um, an ARP 2600, because that's what I had studied here at Berkeley. And and then I started being a synthesist in my band and um, focusing my energy on learning to play the synthesizer in live performance. And I took a gig with the Boston Shakespeare Theater, um, which was um, actually never did Shakespeare. It was kind of a funny name for it. (laughs) Um, And at the time, um, the Boston Shakespeare Theater was under the direction of Peter Sellars, who's a, you know, kind of a a very forward-thinking director. And I got hired to do um, a play called Mother Courage, which is a Bertolt Brecht play. And uh, Linda Hunt was the actress um, playing the lead. And that year, she won the Oscar for her role in uh, Year of Living Dangerously. So it was a big production. And um, in the stage set, they they had a very futuristic stage set up for this very old play. And they built the musicians, the three of us, into the stage. And I was in the center of the stage. So I was... My synthesizers were underneath the stage, and I was... um, wearing a black turtleneck every day so that to the audience, they saw just my head floating on the stage. And uh, it was a really interesting production. Anyways, um, as fate may have it, um, Bob Scher, who was the provost of the college, um, came to the uh, opening premiere performance, and he saw my head on the stage and recognized me and um, saw my name in the in the credits in the playbill. And uh, he came up after the, the show and... Um, you know, sought me out and said, you know, hey, I, I thought you were a guitar player. I didn't know you were doing this stuff. I said, well, no, actually, I stopped playing guitar in 1976, and I've been doing this for the last, you know, six or seven years. And, um, and he said, well, you know, this is kind of the future. You know, these synthesizers are really going to take off. This was in 1982. Um, and he said, you know, Berkeley needs to do more with this. Why aren't you teaching this at Berkeley? And I said, well, because I'm so busy teaching all these other things. And he said, well, we should change that. And so we we set about uh, building the major, and it launched in fall of 85. Um, and it was every bit as successful as we hoped it would be. And uh, you know, by the end of the first year, we had over 200 students signed up for majoring in music synthesis. 
the name came um, at the time we were trying to put the word music or professional in everything. And so, um, you know, we were trying to come up with a name for the program, which was a program that didn't exist anyplace else. So um, it was actually Larry Monroe and uh, Gary Burton who suggested the name Music Synthesis as the name for the major. And uh, um, that's what it stayed until just a few years ago um, when we changed it to electronic production and design. How has the culture changed here at Berkeley if it has, and what has remained the same? And then just to make it more complicated, I want to add a third question, which is what are some of your most, most um, cherished memories from your, from your 40 years here? Um, so, you know, I think many things have changed at Berkeley, physically, um, technically. But um, one thing that's remained the same all the time that I've been here, and one of the reasons that I've stayed here for all this time, is just the incredible passion of this community for creating new work. Um, the students here are amazingly talented. The faculty here are amazingly talented. And they're all passionate about, about making music, now dance and theater, um, and creating new work that will, will inspire all of us. Um, I think that's one of the, the great things about this place. It, it's what makes this place unique on the planet. Um, and I hope that, that we keep shining the light on that and doing everything we can to care and feed that um, going forward. Um, I don't see that being in danger at all. Um, I, I, I think that's one of the exciting place, things about the place, and I think it will continue uh, for a long time. I've cherished um, the human relationships uh, most of everything. I mean, certainly I learned so much here as, when I was a student um, from all the great teachers I had. You know, I'll name a few of them. Um, Michael Rendish, Herb Pomeroy, um, to, to name two. Uh, Mike Gibbs when he was here. Um, well, I mean, I could go on and on, but those were the, the people, Larry Monroe, Ted Pease, Alex Julianowski, um, some of the pillars of Berkeley um, who were not just my teachers, but my mentors personally. And, you know, the mentors I've had in the administration, like um, Lee Burke, even Larry Burke before him, and uh, certainly Roger Brown and all my colleagues um, in the president's cabinet, they they inspire me, have inspired me to grow and, and to... Um, to think positively about Berkeley. Um, I think that's what I'll miss the most is the, the, the personal interaction with so many great thinkers and, and, and great uh, artists. Um, I hope that I can uh, maintain those connections outside of working relationships and into personal relationships. So for those people taking in your thoughts here, um, whether it's a student or a faculty member uh, alumni, staff member, whoever, what would you hope that they take from your life and from your life's work at Berkeley? Um, I, I'd, I'd like to leave with, with uh, a couple of thoughts. Um, one I mentioned already, which is the best way to invent the future is to build it. Um, and I think if everybody really thought about that 
and really thought about what it means uh, both to them personally and also to the institution, I think that could make a huge difference because um, it takes a lot of people to build the future. And, uh, and uh, there's no, um, no limit to the number of great ideas that people could, could bring forth. And so I urge everybody to think about how they contribute uh, to the institution that way. The other thing was a, um, a fortune cookie I got um, not too long ago, which um, really congealed a lot of what I've learned as an administrator at Berkeley, which is um, it's amazing what you can accomplish if you don't need to take credit. And, um, you know, I've, I've spent this time talking with you about all the things I've done here and kind of taking credit for a lot of things. But in fact, you know, so many people contributed uh, to all the things that I've described. Um, I did, you know, I hopefully played a, a strong leadership role in that. Um, and in fact, many people are credited with um, things that we've done over the last, you know, 40 years, and, and, and rightly so. And I think it's really, um, you know, it's really important to, to think about the greater thing that you're contributing to um, than just your personal involvement in it. Um, I know that when I leave Berkeley uh, at the end of this semester, Berkeley will continue to do great things, and Berkeley will continue to actually take advantage of some of the things that I've planted and have grown, um, and won't think about who did them, right? The students that come here next year, they're not wondering who connected Berkeley to the internet. Um, all they care about is they have access to the stuff that they need to do. And that's really what it's all about. Um, and so I think, I think that fortune cookie kind of wraps it all up for me, which is, um, it's amazing what we can all do if we don't need to take credit. We just think about the greater good. Uh, David Mesh. Thank you so much for being with us today, for your service to Berkeley uh, over the decades, and uh, we wish you the best of luck in the future. Thanks for having me in and um, give me the chance to reminisce. Really appreciate it. Thanks. This episode of Inside Berkeley was engineered by Andres Gonzalez Cardona in partnership with The Burn. More of this interview will be available for reading in the upcoming edition of Berkeley Today, and video excerpts will be available via Berkeley's Oral History Project archive from Berkeley Learning Resources. Special thanks to our guest David Mash, Senior Vice President for Innovation, Strategy, and Technology, as well as Special Projects Manager Tony Brown with The Burn, Mark Small, Editor of Berkeley Today, Heather Reed and Ernie Gillis for Learning Resources at Berkeley, and Executive Assistant Wendy Young. I'm Michael Keith Feldman for Inside Berkeley. Thanks for listening. <laughs>